So Holy Spirit, you are welcome here and ask that you would open up your word, uh, the things I'm going to say, the thoughts that we're going to think in these next few minutes to help us understand how we follow you more. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good to see all of you here. I hope you're having a good summer. Welcome to those of you watching on the podcast as well. I think that there are three times in life when it is difficult to experience the power of Jesus and Jesus' presence. I think in the, when things are going really well and we don't think we need him, when things are going very badly and we wonder where he is, and when things are just normal and we forget about him. Good times, bad times, normal times. Other than those three, though, super easy. In the last two chapters of the book of Acts, we come to the end of the book of Acts. We've been looking at it all summer. The last two chapters show us how to have confidence, experience Jesus' power, have more joy in two of those three times. The difficult times and the normal times. And we'll save the third for another sermon. And what I want to do right now is just look at the last two chapters of the book of Acts and see what does it tell us about how we have confidence and experience God's power in the norm and in the storm. And the first thing these chapters show us is that life is a struggle. Now, I know that seems like kind of a duh, kind of obvious, but I think we in this culture kind of tend to forget that. Other places of the world, they take this as a given. But I think we Americans often feel like it's some kind of cosmic injustice if we face problems or trials, that our rights have been violated or something like that. Earlier this week, my family and I went to Crater Lake, and there were these two little sisters, about four and five years old, and one of them kept hitting her little sister with a stick. Not hard, but just kept hitting her with a stick. And, and the sister said, ouch, Minnie, you hit me with a stick. So what did Minnie do? Well, hit her with a stick again, of course, right? Like, that's the obvious. We hit her with again, and they both started chasing each other. All the while, the mom's trying to get something out of the car. And by the end, they were both crying. And Minnie ran over to her mom and said, Mom, give me a surprise. I was like, oh, I'd give you a surprise, man. I can think of a whole lot of surprises I'd give you right now were you mine, right? And my kids thought that was so funny. So all week they've been walking up to me and said, Dad, give me a surprise. <laughs> and then the little sister went to her mom and said, Minnie hit me with a stick twice. Right? As I'm watching all this. I thought, Lord, because this is what pastors do on vacation. I thought, Lord, am I, am I like this? Jesus, give me a surprise. Jesus, life hit me with a stick twice. Jesus, I've got this problem. Jesus, I've got that problem. Fix it. It's not fair. Now, to be sure, we face really difficult things in life. Loss of a loved one, health crises, all kinds of stuff. But on top of that pain, I think we add an extra burden that somehow it's unfair. Somehow this shouldn't be happening, especially to us. Apostle Paul sees it differently. In these chapters, he's been arrested for talking about Jesus, and he's being sent off to Rome for trial. And on the way, they encounter a two-week storm, end up being shipwrecked, then he's bitten by a snake, and then taken to Rome and put under house arrest. Lots of storms. But then, when he gets to Rome, life settles into this kind of normal routine. He tells the Jewish leaders about Jesus, and it says, some were convinced, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave. That'd be discouraging. Right? That'd be like immediately after the sermon, you guys all started arguing and then just went off to brunch. Right? It's very discouraging as a preacher. Uh, and then, and then, uh, then at the, very, the end of the book, the last verse of the book says this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. What that really means is he's under house arrest and he has to pay for the privilege of it. But boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God. Okay, if this were a movie script, the producers would demand a rewrite. 
especially at the end. Yes, it ends with Paul preaching, but with no effect, no response, right? I mean, where's the big happy ending? Where's the big kind of Hollywood finale? It's just not, it just kind of ends with this, hmm, kind of thing. Now, there's a reason for that, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But the point here is that Paul really understands that life is a struggle. In his letters, he compares it to an athlete who goes through grueling training exercises, but in the process becomes, can run faster, can jump higher, is stronger than all the other people. Life is a training regimen that makes us stronger for this world and molds our character for heaven. The man who has been my main mentor and my spiritual father for 35 years now has terminal cancer, and he's still relatively young. It's a very painful thing. And I talked with him recently, and, you know, he has lots of understandable grief, but he also said, you know, I'm, I'm really doing quite well in spite of it all. And Jesus has shown up in all kinds of places. And he talks about how he's found this kind of, this great new deep relationship that he's experiencing with God and with his family, the kind of thing that often happens when, when illness focuses us down on what really matters. And he said he's having fun doing things like giving his books away to people he loves because he's not going to need them anymore, and so he's giving them away. In one of his recent blog posts, he wrote this. He said, some days have been really discouraging with higher nausea and very low energy. And I've thought about how often I've advised people to let others carry them in their faith like the four friends who carry the paralytic to Jesus. Well, one day this week, I realized that I couldn't find anything like a genuine faith inside of me which would give me strength to pray or meditate. But then it occurred to me that I didn't need any. God's grace is not about me. Whatever God has for me is going to come from outside of me anyway. There are so many people who've asked how they can help, and that day I realized that they were helping by simply being faith for me when I couldn't. They were welcoming God's grace when I couldn't even do that much. And so I nestled into my pillow and enjoyed a moment of realizing that I was simply being held by joy. For 35 years, he has shown me how a Christian lives, and now he's showing me how a Christian dies. But his life still has purpose. His life still has joy. His life still has meaning. He's still growing. He's still changing. Life is a training exercise. And it is making him stronger for facing this final trial. And it is fitting his character for eternity. Life is hard, but it strengthens us. Apostle Paul gets that. Second reason Paul thrives in the norm and in the storm is that he has confidence that the gospel will find a way. And by gospel, I mean the message of Jesus' love and his making new of all things. The gospel breaks through everything. You cannot stop it. And Paul's life demonstrates it. It was Paul's lifelong ambition to go preach in Rome. And now his wish is being granted. He's going to Rome as a prisoner, but he's going to Rome. Maybe not exactly how he thought it would work out, not exactly how he thought God would answer that prayer to send him to Rome, right? Kind of a surprise. Sort of like the old joke where a wife takes her husband out to dinner for his 50th birthday, and she says, I've been given power by a genie to grant you any wish you want. What is it? So the husband says, well, I'd like a wife 30 years younger than me. And poof, he was 80 years old. <laughs> Paul got what he wanted, but maybe in a surprising kind of way, not the way he expected it. And yet, Paul's chains advanced the gospel. The way house arrest worked is he would have been chained to a Roman guard 24-7, constantly chained to a Roman guard, but he's still free to preach. And in the book of Philippians, Paul says, my chains have advanced the gospel because even some of Caesar's guards have become Christians from having, hear, hear me to having to hear me preach all day. Okay, how would you like it if your job was to be chained to a preacher all day long? 
And my 15th point is, oh, mercy, please give me mercy, right? That's Paul, right? And that's the guard. See, you can chain people, but you cannot chain the gospel. It will go forward. And sometimes we are saved from our trials, but other times we are saved through our trials. Sometimes it's our trials that advance God's purposes. He doesn't cause them, but he can use them. The last verse of Acts says that for two years, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, and this is important. Because these days, we preachers, and I'm included in this, tend to preach a very individual gospel. Jesus loves you. Jesus has a wonderful plan for you. Jesus comes to fulfill you. And that's true, but limited. Because eventually God will not do what we want him to do, doesn't answer some request that we think is just absolutely urgent, and that's when we're tended to just like walk away, or you don't exist, or you don't care, or whatever. But if we have in mind the grand picture that the kingdom of God the kingdom of God goes marching on, and we get to be part of it no matter what. Well, that keeps us from pursuing smaller goals and smaller kingdoms and smaller gods. It's about the kingdom of God, not just about us. And you see this as Paul is being carted off to Rome in chains. They put him on a ship, and he says to the sailors, you better not set sail now because it's the wrong time of the year. We're going to encounter some storms. They leave anyway, encounter a two-week storm. Then Paul stands up in the middle of them and says, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. I love that. I told, you, I told you so. Told you. Now, look, now look where we are. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Well, that's comforting. <laughs> right? Oh, okay, the ship's going to be destroyed. That's right. And then he goes on and he says, an angel of the God whom I serve, he's talking to people who don't believe in God, but he's still going to own that he does. The angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. You can sort of see the sailors going, good news, bad news. Like, you know, take a pastoral care course, bud. This isn't helping me, right? But what he's saying is, guys, guys, we are going to suffer. We're gonna, but, but, but God is doing something much bigger than our goals, much bigger than our lives, much bigger than our comfort. But we get to be part of that bigger purpose no matter what. It's like what my wife and I always say to our kids when we watch baseball. Remember, kids, always better to strike out swinging than strike out looking. Well, in the baseball game that is life, right, we all suffer. We're all going to die. We're all going to get out. But with Jesus, we can go down swinging for the fences, not go down looking and waiting. And in the norm and in the storm can still be part of God's bigger purposes, no matter what's going on in our lives. Like my friend who has cancer, still part of God's bigger purposes helping others change in the world. And by the way, just speaking of baseball, just as an aside, back in June, I said that I thought the Mariners had a shot to go to the playoffs. And some of you scoffed. You, there was an audible scoff in the congregation, an audible scoff. I heard the scoff, and it hurt me deeply. It hurt my heart. I want you to know that. Right? But now, look, I'm, I grant you, they're not in the playoffs yet. But you know what? You're seeing the words Mariners and wild card right next to each other. When was the last time you saw that? Okay, just saying, listen to your pastor. <laughs> Do what your pastor tells you. I have prophetic powers, okay? Right? It's, it's, it's good stuff. Good, it's good. So it may, and it, and what all of that shows, including the Mariners, is that God will find a way where there seems to be no way, right? And it may take years, but God will do something in the norm when you're bored and you're restless and you're like, same old, same old. And in the storm, here's the question to ask. I wonder what God is going to do with this. I wonder what God is going to do with this because you see curiosity and hope are not that far apart.
I wonder what God is going to do with this because the gospel will find a way. Which brings me to a third way that we thrive in the norm or in the storm, and that is you've got to ditch your lifeboats. As the storm is raging, it says that the sailors tried to lower the lifeboat and run away. But Paul stops them and says, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Kind of a metaphor. A little bit later, they throw over all the wheat that's in the ship that they're taking to Rome to be sold. The entire economic rationale for their lives, they throw it overboard, right? Or for, their, for the voyage in the first place. They throw it overboard you know, because it was weighing them down. So the wheat was valuable, but it was weighing them down. You get the metaphor, right? Even you engineers, you can get this metaphor. Sometimes to be saved, you've got to ditch your lifeboats, the things that you're hanging on to, those little comfort things. You've got to let them go. Do something risky that God calls you to do, something that doesn't always pencil. Are nice jobs, nice houses, nice cars. They're, 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 they're like the wheat, the economic rationale for our lives, but it can weigh us down. So in the storm, if you want the peace that passes understanding, you've got to give up understanding and do something that might not make sense just because God says to do it. And in the norm, when you might be bored, if you want to get out of the same old, same old, if you want exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or imagine, you've got to stop limiting yourself to only what our culture imagines. Safety, comfort, pleasure, success. Maybe that means to give more than you think you can or be part of God's rescue mission somehow to expand your world. Which brings me to the last way that we thrive in the norm and in the storm, and that is to live Eucharistically. Eucharist is a word for communion, the Lord's Supper. And you see it in this story where after the storm has been raging for two weeks, Paul says to those who are on the, on, on the boat, he says, for the last 14 days, you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. I love that. He sounds like their mother. Eat, it'll make you feel better. And then it says, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Again, they aren't believers, but he's not afraid to pray in front of them. He gave thanks, and then he broke it and began to eat. Does that sound sort of familiar? Sort of, it sort of sounds like communion, doesn't it? He blessed it, he broke it, he gave it away. Blessed, broken, given away. That's you and me. That's you and me. We are blessed by God's love. We are broken by life in many ways, but also God breaks us of our sin and of our pride to be given away in service to the world. Blessed, broken, given away in service. That's what it means to live eucharistically. You know, these sailors here, they're taking Paul to prison. They, they are not his friend. They are his enemies. On top of that, these sailors, they would have been sort of looked down on by the Roman elite. They, they, were, they weren't the shiniest apples in the cultural barrel. They weren't educated. They were uncouth, rough around the edges. They were unbelievers. This is the Lord's Supper turned inside out. And Paul here is like Jesus, only he, 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 he offers the bread to outsiders, to unbelievers, to uncouth sailors. He serves them. He becomes one of them. He understands he's in community with them. This week, I ran into a woman from our church at a bakery whose permission I have to share this story. And she said, oh, shoot, here I am with my hair uncombed and no makeup. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. That's fine. Well, later that day when she got home, she posted something on Facebook. And this is what she said. She said, I left the house today with a quick brush to my hair, no makeup, T-shirt, and flip-flops to help my husband who had a car issue. On the way home, I stopped at a bakery hoping I wouldn't see anyone I knew. Well, then a guy walks in, and sure enough, it's Scott Dudley, my pastor. The only good news is he didn't look any better than I did. <laughs> Ow. 
that, she didn't, oh, Facebook, everyone can see that? Okay, and by the way, I looked wonderful that day. I, I was marvelous that day. Actually, it's kind of a profound theological comment, if you think about it. We all have uncombed hair, spiritually speaking. Paul gets that. And Paul is one of the cultural elites. He had the best education money could buy, but he serves the sailors anyway. And in the process, experiences peace and joy in the storm and community with folks he might not have otherwise known. And his world gets a little bit bigger. Because see, if we're always saying, I'll do this thing or I'll get in this relationship only if it meets my needs, every time you do that, you get smaller and you curve in on yourself. And it gets harder to imagine what it's like to be someone else. And your world becomes small, population me. And you get more cynical and self-justifying. But if we turn out and give ourselves away in service, our world gets bigger, population two, four, six, and more. We get a bigger life. There's a woman in our church named Nancy whose permission I have to share this story. And way back in 1999, she took a spiritual gifts class here. And along with a, a test that we, that we provided. And she discovered her top four spiritual gifts were administration, helping others, service, and wisdom. But at the time, she really wasn't open to the kind of job that those gifts would point to because she had two kids in college, plus her husband needed her to help him run his advertising agency. And Nancy has a degree in communication with an emphasis on advertising, so that seemed like the place that she should be doing what, you know, to support her family. Well, fast forward 10 years to 2009. Nancy's husband had died, the economy was terrible, and Nancy got laid off. And Nancy says, I love, I love God's timing in these things. She said for, for several years she'd been wanting to do something different, wanting to do something that gave her a bigger, deeper sense of meaning and all that. And for four years she had been praying that God would show her where he wanted her to be. And so in a way, God was answering her prayer, right? I mean, she's, she's laid off. This sort of, you could see it as directional, just maybe not how she expected the prayer to be answered, sort of like Paul. Nancy says, I should have been panicked, but for some reason I felt this clear peace that God had a plan. See, confidence that the gospel will find a way gives you peace in the storm. Well, one day she was having coffee with Terry Tripp, who was a pastor here at the time, and Terry said, how's the job search going? And Nancy said, terrible, but I've just got this sense that God has a plan and I'm trying really hard to trust him. And then Terry got this puzzled look on her face and she said, well, would you ever be interested in doing something really different than what you've been doing all these years? And Nancy said, sure, if it's the, if it's the right thing. So Terry said, well, there's this job opening here at Bell Press for administrative assistant to the senior pastor. And Nancy said, I knew instantly that was the job that God was leading me to. And she remembered the results from that spiritual gifts test, and she laughed, and she thought, man, this has been 10 years, 10 years in the making. And she said for her, it was this perfect combination of prayer, of understanding the gifts that God gave me, of, of, of knowing that I needed to trust him, and, and that the timing had to be right, and it had to be his timing, not my timing. I needed a relationship with him, and just to stick with him, and listen, and pay attention as he guided, even though it took a long time, more than I, more than I cared to how it take. And to recognize the fact that being laid off in a gift, in, in a way, was kind of a gift because it opened her to something new. And so now, for the last five years, she has been my administrative assistant. Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, so if I follow Jesus, I become your assistant, Dudley? I, I thought church was supposed to encourage me. I, I find that discouraging, right? And where's this exceedingly abundantly beyond all I can imagine? Because, I, frankly, I can imagine more than being your assistant, Dudley. That seems like a very small adventure. The point is, to her... This is a perfect use of her gifts, right? For her, it's the perfect job. 
Her life was hard, laid off. She was a widow, but it strengthened her. And she had faith that God's making new of all things would find a way. She ditched some of her lifeboats, took a job completely different than the one she'd trained for, and incidentally, that paid way less. She's definitely living Eucharistically and serving others. And through all of that, found peace in the storm, but also what for her is a bigger life in the norm. She loves this job. She finds a ton of meaning in it. She gets to be part of what God is doing through us as a church, help organize us so that God can do more without us getting in the way. It makes great use of her administrative skills, but also her graciousness and diplomacy, which is much needed in that position. And she is so vital to this church, and she is beloved by the whole staff. She says, God not only answered my prayer, but gave me far more joy than I ever could have imagined. And on top of all of that, she gets the fun of working with me. How blessed could one person be, right? Like this blessings in abundance. And here I think we see a little bit of why the book of Acts ends the way it does. I think the reason there's no grand finale at the end of Acts is because the last chapter has not yet been written. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through ordinary people. And the last chapter hasn't been written. That's up to you and me to keep writing this book in our everyday lives as Nancy is doing. It says that after Paul talks to the religious leaders in Rome, a few believed, but that most of them disbelieved, disputed, departed because they were spiritual dullards. And the book of Acts ends with Paul preaching, but with no response. As if to say, and what about you? How will you respond? And what about you? Are you going to be like the disputing, disbelieving, departing dullards? Or are you going to be like the Apostle Paul? And what about you? Maybe you're in a storm right now. Or maybe you're just in the norm and the routine. This week, will you embrace the trials of life as a training exercise that makes you stronger? Trust that the gospel is going to find a way. It may take years, but it'll find a way. Ditch some of your lifeboats and live eucharistically blessed, broken, and given away. And if you do that, I believe that you will find a bigger life in the norm and more peace and joy in the storm. So Jesus asks that you help us to do that because it's easy said and hard to do. But through your power, Lord, help us to see your hand at work. When we are bored and restless in the norm or when we are fearful in the storm, help us to see your hand at work and trust that your gospel will find a way. And hang on to you, not all of our other lifeboats and comforts and things we surround ourselves with. Jesus, be very real to us this week and help us follow you more. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.